the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church Reno, we love God, love others, and make a difference. For more information, visit lifechurchreno.com. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Well, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. If you're joining us online, thank you so much for for tuning in. Uh, today we're kicking off a new series that we're calling New Normal. Maybe you've heard that uh, term used uh, at some point, maybe even in, in response to kind of the, the moment we're in now coming out of COVID or mid-COVID, wherever we find ourselves, this new normal. If you Google, what does new normal mean? Let me, let me read it to you. A new normal is a state to which an economy or society settles following a crisis. When this differs from the situation that prevailed prior to the start of that crisis, the term has been employed relating to World War I, September 11th, the financial crisis of 2007, 2008, the global recession, COVID-19, and other events. And so we're, we're in this moment of trying to kind of figure out this new normal, either post-COVID, mid-COVID, wherever we find ourselves. And, but I kind of want to reframe that a little bit over these next few weeks and, and talk about what does it look like to live a, a new normal, not coming out of a crisis as much, but what does it look like to live a new normal as a result of living a life fully surrendered to Jesus? And so we're going to be unpacking that over these next weeks. What does my life look like? What's the new normal when I'm 100% fully surrendered to Jesus? And what I want to talk to you about today, I want to talk to you about giving your life away. See, many times we talk about somebody becoming a Christian or becoming a follower of Jesus. We say, hey, hey, she gave her life to Christ or he, he gave his life to Christ. And, and many times what we either don't understand 100% or we almost forget is that as much as it is a one-time choice to, to give your life to Christ, it's a decision that you make that, that then change, creates this whole new normal where, where really you're, you're living every day, giving your life to Christ. And in a sense, one of the biggest ways that we live this new normal of living a hundred percent surrendered to Jesus as we give our lives away in service. That's what I want to talk to you about today. If you have your Bibles, go over to Matthew chapter 20. One of the biggest ways that we give our life away is in serving. Jesus was talking about this whole idea of being a servant. And and then he says this, he says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what what Jesus here is establishing is this direct connection between living a life of service. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life away, to give my life as a ransom for many. There's this direct connection between, between serving and giving your life away. And here's why. When you're serving, what you're doing is you're, you're giving away your time and you're giving away your abilities, but really what well, all the time is, when we talk about it in relationship to our lives, it's really just the name that we give to pieces of our life. So, so when I give my life away in service, when, when I serve and take my time and my abilities, what I'm literally doing is I'm giving my life away. So Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, even though he would have had every prerogative as, as, as a part of the Godhead to show up and say, serve me. He says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life away. But, but here's the thing. 
Our culture would tell us that the good life is the life where you are served. And, and if all of us were to, to think about, hey, you've got 10 grand, take, take you and, and your wife and, and kids, if you've got them, you're going to go on vacation. And you start to think, one of your first four or five ideas will likely include an all-inclusive Mexican vacation. <laughs> where you're just there, and, and I've done this, and, and I'm not here to say it's not a good thing. But you're just there, and there's just all these people that are just there to serve you. And so our, our culture would say that that is the picture of the good life, a life where, 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 where there's people at your beck and call to bring whatever you want, as much as you want, for as long as you want. And then when you thank them, they say, it's my pleasure, like you're at Chick-fil-A, you know? And, and so, but, but here's like, Jesus actually said the opposite. He actually, there's, see the thing is, it's, what Jesus said is that when I give my life away is when I really discover real life. We see in Matthew chapter 16, he said it this way. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Why? For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Whoever, whoever gives their life away. It's in giving our, our he says, so what some people do is they go through life trying to hold on to maximum control. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to control everything and hold on to my life and live life on my terms, doing it my way. And Jesus says, if you try to live like that, you'll never really live, not just in eternity but also right now. But it's that person that, that, that gives their life away, loses their life for my sake. That's how you gain real life, both forever, but also right now. See, all the data from sociologists and psychologists tells us that real happiness comes in serving more than ever being served. I'm not here to tell you that if you're in Mexico on, at an all-inclusive resort and, and you're having all-you-can-eat chips and guacamole, and whatever, that, that's not gonna be fun for a bit. But what lasting, lasting fulfillment, lasting joy comes far more in serving than in being served. One piece of research, it, it, it's shown that to make your physical health far better. One piece of research showed that older individuals who volunteered at least 200 hours a year, four hours a week, decreased their risk of high blood pressure by 40%. Other research shows that, that people who regularly volunteer end up living longer. It makes your physical health better. It makes your emotional health better. Here's what Helen Keller says. He says, I, I believe when you are most unhappy that there is something for you to do in the world. So as long as you can sweeten another, another's pain, life is not in vain. One team of sociologists tracked 2,000 people for a five-year period, found that the majority of Americans who described themselves as very happy. Now, first of all, just to go, I have a survey where you ask a bunch of people, would you say you're very happy, happy, moderately happy, moderately unhappy, very unhappy. The majority of the Americans that would say, I am very happy, is a small number. But the Americans who describe themselves as very happy, they on average volunteered at least 5.8, almost six hours a month. The Americans who said, I am very happy. And so when Jesus says, hey, it's in giving your life away, and one of the biggest ways we do that is to give our life away in service, that, that we really begin to live. He, he's, he's proved right by all the data. Your health will get better. Your, your, your attitude will get better. Your relationships will get better. Here's the truth. Every, the, the most important relationships in your life 
The, the, the health of that relationship is, is in direct correlation to, to do you have two people that, that, that are looking to receive or do you have two people that are looking to give? Every relationship, especially marriage, is simply a race to the bottom. Who, who, yeah, who, who can outserve the other one? And, and so that living this life of service, it makes everything in life better. It makes everything better. But here's the next thing that happens. When I give my life away in service, my church becomes healthier. When I give my life away in service, my church becomes healthier. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, he says it this way. He says, just as a body. So we see in the New Testament a handful of, of, of images, pictures of what the church is, the bride of Christ, the, the family of God, the building of, of God. We see here we're talked about the body. He says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. We're all baptized by one spirit to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we're all given the one spirit to drink. So even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, the next little part of this passage, I sometimes I just like to read the Bible and imagine it like a cartoon. And so he says, and this is a classic place to do this. I think this is super funny stuff if you have a good imagination. Now, if the foot should say, so now you have this talking foot. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear, so now we have talking ear. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, so now you've just got this giant eye body, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, here's what Paul's saying. Paul is saying every single one of us, just like all the different parts of your body, every single one of us ha have a unique part to play. And that, and that the body is not complete without all of the parts fully functioning at maximum health. And so what he's saying is this. He's saying a church is like a body. And that every single one of us ha have gifts and abilities and talents and experiences and personalities. And that, and that we all have a part to play. And, and so here's the thing. We fundamentally believe in life church. If God, if God has brought you to this church... Now listen, I'm not talking about if this is like your third week at Life Church or 10th week at Life Church, but if you've been at Life Church months or more, our fundamental belief is this, that if God's brought you here, that it's because there is something inside of you, gifts, abilities, talents, experiences, personality. There's, there's things inside of you that without what God's put in you, this church is not complete and healthy. That, that there's something that God's put in you that for this church to fulfill all that God has for us, for this church to be at maximum health and maximum impact, we only do that with you fully participating and bringing to bear the things that God has placed in you. He says, we've all got these different parts to play. And, and, and so that's this picture here. And, and so you are, I want you to know that, that you are valuable and that God didn't just bring you here because it's the closest church to your house. And God didn't just bring you here so that you can consume. That, that God has brought you here because we desperately need what he's placed inside of you. That, that in order for, for otherwise, we're just going around without any ears. Just a face, just no ears. We're just going around, just hopping around on one leg doing the best we can. Because you're supposed, and here's the thing. There's different kinds of church people. 
You know, some people are ears and nose and toes. Some people are, are, are behinds. It's true. But here's the thing. You got to sit on something. What you don't want to be is an appendix. Where the only time ever, anyone ever notices the appendix is, is, is when it's giving you trouble. But we've all got a part to play. And Life Church, and here's the thing, the, the reason 85% of the churches in America are shrinking or, or staying the same size, plateaued or declining, I believe one of the giant reasons is because in each of those churches, on average, 20% of the people are doing 80% are doing 80% of the stuff. The other 80% are just kind of watching them. Watching them, sometimes cheering them on, and sometimes just playing armchair quarterback, not doing anything, but talking about how everything being done could be done better, but of course they're not gonna do it. And thank God, Life Church has never been like that. Life Church, there's always been tons of people that say, hey, God's brought us here. He's given us gifts, abilities, talents, experiences, and personality because, because this church isn't gonna be healthy without me coming and using what God has placed inside of me. There's been there's so many, I could talk about so very many. Well, one person that comes to mind is Jackie Whitley. Uh, Jackie has led a worship in the in the, uh, over here, excuse uh, that microphone, over there in the service. When we were first starting Life Church, there was another local church in town that said, hey, we, we would love to be helpful to you. We'd love it if a half dozen families came to help you get started and from our church. And so there was six or 10 families from this other church that, hey, we wanna be a part of getting Life Church started. Most of them, their idea was that they'd be here a long time. Jackie said to me, she said, Pastor Dave, I feel called to come. I'm gonna give you six months. And I was like, great. And, uh, and so Jackie came, and obviously six months turned into a year that has now turned into almost 16 years. But, but, but through that time, Jackie's done like so much stuff. Like at the very beginning, she was uh, volunteering weekly in kids ministry and in preschool ministry, and then sometimes she leads worship. But the, probably her biggest contribution has been the last 13 years, she served faithfully on a weekly basis with our junior high and our high school ministry. I think we have some photos here. So here, here's the truth. The best part of volunteering in high school ministry is if you go to camp, you can pour nacho cheese on Pastor Sarge. <laughs> but here's the thing. Life Church wouldn't be healthy and wouldn't make the impact God's called us to make if Jackie wasn't fully using the things that God's placed inside of her in order for this church to be healthy. We just wouldn't be the same. Uh, another great uh, couple at Life Church, Ray and Judy Martin. So, so, uh, so Ray and Judy moved here about three years ago, uh, and they were retiring, moving out here. And, and, and so I get to know Ray and Judy a little bit. They said, yeah, you know what we really love to do is, is we love to cook for churches. And I said, well, that's really good news because the people at Life Church, they like to eat, you know, and and so the next thing I know, they go out and buy this like giant grill, the kind that you have to tow, the kind that you can feed like 2,000 people with. And so over the last few years, there's been dozens of times, whether we're feeding 100 people or we're feeding 1,000 people. I remember the first, we were having a, the big groundbreaking uh, celebration. We were having the service in the tent. Afterwards, we're having tri-tip. There's like 12 or 1,500 people there that day. And Ray and Judy and their team, they were here all night the night before making tri-tip so that 1,200 people could eat tri-tip. 
And, and, and it's incredible. But here, a few weeks ago, we're, we're doing these dinners with the regular tenders at Life Church, um, just here on the, uh, at the church, um, where we're just trying to connect people just because we've been so disconnected with COVID. And so we're just gathering groups of 50 or 100 people, eating some food, connecting with the leadership, connecting with one another. And the first one of these we did, um, Ray and Judy were cooking the, the food with their team, and, and this lady shows up at, at the, at the uh, barbecue, a lady that I'd seen before, but I'd never seen her husband. And so he comes, he'd never been to church before at Life Church, he comes, he eats the food, and we're chatting afterwards, he said, you know, that was the best church food I've ever had. <laughs> Come to find out a, a little bit later, he, even though he was like 60 years old, he hadn't been at church since he was 10 years old. And, and so that, but that next Sunday, never been to church, comes to eat Ray and Judy's food, says it's the best church food he ever had. That next Sunday, he's here. And the next Sunday, he's here. And the next Sunday, he's here. And then he comes to Life Track and gives his life to Christ. Now, and, and, he's here, and he's here like every Sunday, but here's what I'll tell you. If Ray and Judy's food was bad, he probably never comes. See, if Ray and Judy, here's what, and let me tell you one more. There's Lady Janet Forster. So, so Janet has given me permission to say it. Janet is 82 years young. And, and for years at Life Church, Janet worked on a weekly basis in our nursery and in our preschool ministry. Loved us holding babies, taking care of young kids. And then after COVID, she was kind of coming back and she says, you know, you know, get a little older. I don't feel like my hands are as steady as I feel like they need to be to hold babies or to change diapers. But could I help out with older kids? And so now every single week during first service, there's 300 kids a week over in that building. While we're doing all this, there's 300 kids birthed through, through fifth grade over there. So now every week she leads a kindergarten small group and, 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 is, and is just making a difference with kindergartners. So here it is. Well, what I really want you to understand is, is without people like Jackie and people like Ray and Judy, people like Janet and the hundreds of other people that, that are giving their life away in service, Life Church would never be able to be healthy and be the church where we were meant to be because without them, we're missing different pieces of our body. Here's what I love about Janet and about Ray and Judy is both of them are maximizing those retirement years. See, what happens, unfortunately, is many times as people begin to slow down their work life, they also, they, they kind of retire spiritually. And it's like, oh yeah, I used to do a bunch of stuff, but now I'm, you know, I'm getting older. And I, but, but here, I honestly see it the opposite way. That, that, that the reason that, that you've got flexibility in your schedule is not simply so you can play golf, although feel free. Not simply so you can go on vacation. Go on vacation, bring me a souvenir, do all of that. But God's given you flexibility and freedom so that you can make these last 20 or 30 years count in the biggest and a more significant way than any other season in your life. He's given you that flexibility for a purpose. And so here it is. When I give away my life in service, what happens is my church becomes more healthy. Here's the third truth. When I give away my life in service, I become greater. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be great. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, show this to you. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left. And they said, hey, Jesus, we want to be the first vice president and second vice president of your kingdom. We don't want too much, just that. 
He says, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And they said, we can. Jesus is talking about dying, and they would. And then Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit on my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my father. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. See, what's happening is the disciples are having this running argument over and over and over again about which one's the greatest and who's gonna have the best spot in the kingdom. And then Jesus says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them and not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great, nothing wrong with wanting to be great. Jesus also makes it clear there's nothing wrong with wanting to amass treasure. He says, you just want to amass treasure in heaven, not on earth. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be great. Just understand that in the, in the upside down kingdom, the way up is down. If you want to be great, become a servant is what Jesus says. He says, he says not so with you. Whoever wants to become great must become your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, but to give his life away. We see them having another moment like this. Jesus is kind of unpacking in greater detail than he's ever done with his disciples. He's like, hey guys, I'm, I'm about to, to die a brutal death. He's like unpacking the plan of why he's here. He's unpacking the seriousness of all that's about to happen to him. And these guys are so clueless. They're like, that's great, Jesus. But hey, but then they just start arguing about which one's gonna be the greatest. Let me show this to you. He says, but they came to, but they did not understand what he meant and they were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum when he was in the house. He asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Of course he knew. But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. So these people, that's, I love that this stuff's in here and makes me feel better about myself. <laughs> Disciples could be dumb, we can be dumb. They're hanging out with Jesus for three years, seeing miracle after miracle after miracle, but they still think it's all about them. And they're like, which one of us is gonna be the greatest? They're having this argument they had over and over and over again, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first, must be the very last and the servant of all. And then he takes a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Lots of reasons Jesus does that. Don't have to go into it. Don't have a lot of time to unpack it. But what Jesus says is if you want to be great, serve. And then he said, and if you're not sure how to serve, a great place to start serving is with kids, is what he's saying. And that's, in this culture, it would have been the, the job of the lowest slave to take care of the little kids. Hey, you, go, you over there, you do it. Those kids don't matter. But what Jesus is saying is he's saying, these kids, they matter. And if you whoever welcomes these kids, welcomes me. It's this beautiful picture, but, but it's this thing that, that when, when I give my life away in service, that's the path to greatness. I think there's a few reasons that that's true. One is it is just a picture of this upside down kingdom where the way up is down. But, but I really believe that we grow the most when we serve. There was a survey done asking people about the effect of, of regularly serving in ministry and their spiritual growth. And, and they were asked this, to what extent has your ministry or service to others affected your spiritual growth? 92% said, oh yes, me serving has caused me to grow spiritually. 
87%, I'm not, and I'm not saying this is true or false, it's just what these people's experience. 87% indicated that service was equally or more significant in their spiritual growth compared to other spiritual disciplines, such as Bible study and prayer. So 87% of these people said, you know what, I think I've grown as much through serving as I have through even prayer and reading the Bible. That it, and I believe there's a lot of reasons this is true. Uh, one thing is I know that when you teach something, you remember it in another way. But, but, and I think, but there's lots of reasons this is true. Uh, over half of those who, who were not actively serving felt not satisfied or somewhat unsatisfied in their spiritual growth. So I think part of the reason that service leads to greatness is, is, it, is it helps us grow spiritually. And I think it's in moments when we're serving as a part of a handful of moments in our life where we're just really never more like Jesus. You're never more like Jesus than when you give. For God so loved the world that he gave. You're never more like Jesus than when you forgive. Jesus came for the purpose that we could be forgiven and reconciled to the Father. And then you're really never more like Jesus than when you serve. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life away. But I think maybe the biggest reason that service, it leads to greatness, is it's the way of love. See, see at the end of the day, love is the biggest biggest. Um, barometer that measures our, our spiritual maturity. Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with your whole self. Second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And so serving in and of itself doesn't make you great. Serving that's motivated by, by love of God and love for, for one another that really is this path to greatness. That's what Paul's saying here, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. He's saying, Jesus has set you free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. He says, here's what he's saying. Jesus didn't save you so that you could spend the rest of your life living for yourself, is what he's saying. He says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another. How? Humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So I think part of the reason that, that service leads to greatness is that it's, it's really the way of love as we begin to serve. There's so many people that, that serve so faithfully at Life Church. I love it when I see multiple generations serving. Check out this video. My name is Brennan. My name is Caitlin. Hi, my name is Aiden. My name is Michelle Spalding. My name is Mike Spalding, and I serve with fifth grade ministry at LC Kids. I serve in kids ministry because I like interacting with them. I love playing with them and making their day. I serve in the kids ministry because there's something about helping people that just really makes me feel closer to God. I serve on the worship team because I like leading people to God and worshiping. I serve in the kids' ministry because when I was growing up, religion wasn't a big part of our family, and I didn't find my relationship with God until my adult life. I felt working with the kids was a way for me to grow with them and also learn with them, and every time that I'm with them, um, I am just as rewarded as they are. I think the most rewarding part of serving in this kids' ministry is that I get to watch my kids grow. I get to see what it 
their relationship is, is doing with, with God and how God is moving through them. I think sometimes being dad, kids just don't listen to what you really have to say. But here I'm more than just dad, I actually get to be a bit of a teacher and I get to pass along examples to all of the kids. And as I watch those kids grow and I see my own children react to what it is that I'm saying or how other kids are reacting, I walk away from that pretty fulfilled and I spend usually the next hour or so just thinking about all of those great experiences that I had in a high stress job and in all of the things that I have to do throughout my career. The one place that I get to come to and just pour into other people and just give to, to these kids is right here at LC Kids. This is probably the, the, the best part of my week. It sustains me for that week. Whenever I walk into the room at K-12, all the kids, they turn their heads and they look at me and they start screaming and they'll come at me and they'll start playing and they drag me everywhere. They want me to go down the slide with them. They want me to play robot with them or they want me to build stuff with them or draw. It's, it's pretty cool. I will say if you're considering serving and you, you felt called but you're afraid because you don't have enough time and you don't have enough uh, inside of you, you think that, oh, you're not gonna do well, it will always work out and it's so special and we can come up with every excuse but it's important that we're here and that we show up. I would tell them to serve because it gives you just this feeling that you're really happy and you made an impact on somebody else. If I were to ask a friend to come with me to LC Kids, first thing I would say to them is you get to connect with the younger kids. You get to be a part of their learning process. You get to be with them. You get to have fun with them. I think out of all the things I do with them, having fun and just interacting and playing with them is the best part. So I would say you just get to have fun. You get to relax and be yourself. To anybody that's considering jumping into this ministry, I'll tell you what, jump in. Just do it. You're sitting out there, you're sitting in one of those seats, you're saying, man, maybe this is for me, maybe this is something that I should do, or maybe you're just saying, no, I shouldn't do this. Let me tell you, jump in. You really wanna build your faith, you wanna know what God has in store for you, you wanna know what it is that God's gonna be doing through you, this is a great place for you just to come. Just pour that out into those kids. Nothing is embarrassing about it. Go play a little bit of basketball. You're going to be in singing, dancing, just having an absolute blast with these kids. I'll tell you what, they give to you. God moves through them just as much as, as God's moving through you. You get to see that. You get to live it. You get to experience. Even right now, it just sends chills up and down my spine. It is so much fun. Don't sit back in your seat any longer. Jump in. Come join us. We need your help. We'd love to have you. Here's the last thing and we're done. When I give my life away in service, my eternal impact is beyond measure. I'm going to show you this, Galatians 6, 9. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. He says, don't, don't give up. Sometimes we get tired of serving. Sometimes we get exhausted. Sometimes we wonder, can I keep going? Sometimes we wonder if it's even worth it. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. Why? For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest.
if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. He says, listen, he says, listen, don't give up. And that we, we begin to want to give up when we lose sight of the big impact we're actually making. He says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. I believe that harvest is talking about two things. First, the, the harvest is the lives impacted that will actually be greater than we can possibly imagine. See, here's one of the, the amazing things. See, you recognize that, that whoever introduced you to Jesus, whether it was a friend, a, a family member, a parent, a pastor, whoever introduced you to Jesus, someone introduced them to Jesus. And someone introduced them to Jesus. See, there's this incredible ripple effect. Here's the thing. I've never been a multi-level marketing guy. Maybe you have. It's fine. But, but here's, the, here's the thing. What those people understand is they understand the power of exponential thinking. And, and, and of one person reaching 10, who reaches 10, who reaches 10. So I just want to make this clear for you. If over the course of your life as a follower of Jesus, if you meaningfully impact someone coming to, to become a follower of Jesus, let's say over the course of your life, you meaningfully impact 10 people coming into relationship with Jesus, becoming a follower of Jesus. Let's imagine this. And then let's imagine that those 10 touch 10. And, those ten, and then those each touch 10. And those each cause 10 people play a meaningful role and 10 more, each of them, becoming followers of Jesus. Let me make this clear to you. After six generations, that's a million people. One person cares about lost people. That's great. And so... Uh, um, so Paul says, don't give up. He says, there's a bigger harvest than you. And there's this ripple effect. There's this bigger harvest than you ever understood. And, and, and I just want to point out this. Let's say that, that, that over the course of your life, you played a meaningful role in 50 people becoming a follower of Jesus. And let's say that each of them each just do the 10. After six generations, it's five million people. And here's what I'm betting on. I'm betting on people like Janet, who for decades have taught little kids about Jesus all the way into her 80s. I'm betting that she's impacted more than 50. See, when I give my life away in service, eternity's being impacted more than I realize. And, and so Paul says, don't give up. Don't, 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 don't just begin to live for yourself. Give your life away in service because you're going to reap a harvest. The harvest is the people reached, but the other part of the harvest is the reward we receive. It, it's, that there's going to be a reward that we're going to receive. There's going to be treasure in heaven that there's going to be that moment where when we leave this life and go into the next and our faith has now been made side and we hear those words from the Father, well done my good and faithful servant. I'm going to read you a story and we're done. There's a pediatrician named David Sakira that shares a story of how a dying girl showed his church the honor of serving God. The pediatrician writes this. He says, one day my wife, who was a Sunday school teacher, she prepared a lesson on being useful. She taught the children that everyone can be useful. And that usefulness is serving God. And that doing so is worthy of honor. 
The kids quietly soaked up my wife's words, and as the lesson ended, there was a short moment of silence, and a little girl named Sarah spoke up. Teacher, what can I do? I don't know how to do many useful things. Not anticipating that kind of response, my wife quickly looked around and spotted an empty flower vase on the windowsill. Sarah, you can bring in a flower and put it in the vase. That would be a useful thing. Sarah frowned, but that's not important. Don't you love it how kids will just keep it real? (laughs) It is, replied my wife, if you're helping someone. Sure enough, the next Sunday, Sarah brought in a dandelion, placed it in the vase. In fact, she continued to do so each week. Without reminders or help, she made sure the vase was filled with a bright yellow flower Sunday after Sunday. When my wife told our pastor about Sarah's faithfulness, he placed the vase upstairs in the main sanctuary next to the pulpit. That Sunday, he gave a sermon on the honor of serving others, using Sarah's vase as an example. The congregation was touched by the message, and the week started out on a good note. During that same week, I got a call from Sarah's mother. I was the family pediatrician, and she worried that Sarah seemed to have less energy than usual and that she didn't have an appetite. Offering her some reassurances, I made room in my schedule to see Sarah the following day. After Sarah had a battery of tests and days of examinations, I sat numbly in my office, Sarah's paperwork on my lap. The results were tragic. She had leukemia. On the way home, I stopped to see Sarah's parents so that I could personally give them the sad news. Sarah's genetics and the leukemia that was attacking her small body were a horrible mix. Sitting at their kitchen table, I did my best to explain to Sarah's parents that nothing could be done to save her life. I don't think I've ever had a more difficult conversation than the one that night. Time pressed on. Sarah became confined to bed and to the visits that many people gave her. She lost her smile. She lost most of her weight. And then it came another telephone call. Sarah's mother asked me to come and see her. I dropped everything and ran to the house. There she was, a small bundle that barely moved. After a short examination, I knew that Sarah would soon be leaving this world. I urged her parents to spend as much time as possible with her. That was a Friday afternoon. On Sunday morning, church started as usual, the singing, the sermon. It all seemed meaningless when I thought of Sarah. I felt enveloped in sadness. At the end of the sermon, the pastor suddenly stopped speaking. His eyes wide, he stared at the back of the church with utter amazement. Everyone turned to see what he was looking at. It was Sarah. Her parents had brought her for one last visit. She was bundled in a blanket, a dandelion in one little hand. She didn't sit in the back row. Instead, she slowly walked to the front of the church where her vase still perched by the pulpit. She put her flower in the vase and a piece of paper beside it. Then she returned to her parents. Seeing little Sarah place her flower in the vase for the last time moved everyone. At the end of the service, people gathered around Sarah and her parents trying to offer as much love and support as possible. I could hardly bear to watch. Four four days later, Sarah died. I wasn't expecting it, but our pastor asked to see me after the funeral. We stood at the cemetery near our cars as people walked past us. In a low voice, he said, Dave, I've got something you ought to see. He pulled out his pocket the piece of paper that Sarah had left by the vase. Holding it out to me, he said, you'd better keep this. It may help you in your line of work. I opened the folded paper to read in pink crayon what Sarah had written. Dear God, this vase has been the biggest honor of my life, Sarah. 
doctor goes on and says that Sarah's note and her vase have helped me to understand. I now realize in a new way that life is an opportunity to serve God by serving people. And as Sarah put it, that is the biggest honor of all. Let's pray. So Father, we thank you for Jesus who didn't come to serve, didn't didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life away. And God, I pray that that our love for you and love for people, God, would lead us to lives of service where we're giving our lives away. And in giving our life away, we find real life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this, and we'll see you soon.